So, you know how a couple episodes ago we talked about, you know, Skippy's been doing this thing where he lays on my chest and sticks out his claw and we deduce that he's just threatening to kill me? Yeah, I remember. Well, I saw this thing on the internet, and yes, there are 10,000 different things that say different things, but I'm going to choose to believe this one, and it was saying how cats will lay on their owner's chests and purr because they're trying to heal them, because that's what Aww. cats will do when they have like a sick partner, friend. I don't know how cat relationships work, but they'll like lay on them and purr them to heal them. So I was like, oh my god, Skippy's just trying to heal me. It's not working, but <laughs> I appreciate the sentiment. And I also had imbibed a little when I saw that and he was currently laying on my chest and definitely just bust out crying. I was like, <laughs> he loves me. He does love you, though. I don't think he's trying to kill you. I think he's trying to comfort you and wants to cuddle, make you feel I, better. Well, that I hope so, because that's how I take it now. And I also appreciate it a lot. Although, when I'm in bed, Max does not appreciate it. Because <laughs> I think he still thinks Skippy is trying to kill me. So, when Skippy will crawl up on me, Max will get into, like, protective mode. And, uh, basically, like, headbutt Skippy off of me. It's- my animals are crazy. It's really funny that you say that. Because Charlie and Willow, they have no issues when it's sleeping time. Charlie gets under the covers or on the next pillow, like his head on the pillow, like a human. And Willow gets on the other side of me. She's been laying on, like next to my side more lately. I'm sometimes still on my pillow, which I'm like, come on, of all places, like, let me have my pillow. Oh, I mean, when you have pets, your bed is not yours. I now have gotten into the, I guess, habit where I sleep on my side and there's maybe like three inches between me and the edge of the mattress because Max is here, Skippy's here, Sabs is over here, and it's just not, I did, it's not my bed anymore, it's theirs. Such is the life of a pet owner. I know, nothing is yours anymore. I assume that's how it is with kids. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Speaking of, I was thinking today how I constantly have pets with just like so much attitude. So think back to like, I mean, you've met Willow. She's nothing but attitude. Uh, my yep. old my old cat Shadow, attitude, uh, borderline bitch cat. Mm -hmm. And um, Charlie, he, you know, he, he's, he's a bit of a kinder soul, but also still has a lot of attitude. He doesn't like minding me on yeah. the leash. He barks at other dogs. And so I was just walking him today and I was like, damn, I'm going to raise some kids with some damn attitude yeah if you have kids uh one day they're gonna be assholes huh, well no, don't call them assholes they're my future maybe potentially we'll see children don't call them assholes say attitude it's a nicer way <laughs> it's but it's the same thing <laughs> you know what i'll just leave it at this bless their hearts well hello everyone this is a blood and wine i'm Brittany, and i'm tyler and I'm going to raise some assholes, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> I already am. <laughs> got uh, asshole, asshole pet kids. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, before we, like, get into the meat of the episode, I we have some exciting news for our Patreoners coming up. 
or those of y'all that want to join our Patreon family, we are going to be having a live Q&A session on October 1st at 8pm Central Time for all of our Patreoners. So if you are a member of our Patreon family, um, you'll be able to like log into our page, see us live, ask us questions. If you're not a member yet, check it out. If you want to join in, sign up before then and you can join us. And if there are any questions or anything you'd love to uh, hear from us or anything you'd love to submit, feel free to message us on any of our social media platforms or send us an email so we have those. And yeah, we'll be excited to chat with y'all, have some wine, and I don't know, socialize the best we can because Lord knows we all need it. And honestly, this kind of like digital socializing of FaceTime and Zoom and stuff has come through these past few months. So we're really excited to be able to kind of share that and talk with y'all. Yes, this is something that we've talked about doing for a while, and we know we've had listeners requesting a Q&A, and like Tyler was saying, it's perfect for right now. We'd love to have a blood and wine happy hour with you guys. Chat with us, ask questions, looking forward to it. So be sure to tune in on Patreon for our Patreon listeners only, Thursday, October 1st at 8 p.m. Central. And while you're at it, be sure you've subscribed on your podcast listening platform of choice. We're on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pretty much whatever you're listening to us on right now. Be sure you've subscribed and you'll get those alerts for all of our new episodes on Tuesdays. All right, well, I'm going to jump straight into the topic because this week we've definitely got a mysterious episode for y'all. Ba-dum-bum. <laughs> Yeah, um, thank you for that delayed uh, symbol crash, Brittany. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. I tried. And and your trying is appreciated. Uh, so for our topic today, our episode is Mysterious Hollywood Murders, because um, there's a lot of them. And I always find these cases that involve celebrities or just like well-known public figures have so much to them, like there's so much detail and stuff. So a lot of times the cases seem a little more straightforward because you kind of know so much and so much is reported. Other times it's kind of the opposite. There's so much detail and stuff and just none of it adds up. Well, and a lot of it is just theories and just things spinning off of other things. And what if it was this? What if it was that? It could have been this or it could have been this person. These people are so influential and they touch a lot of lives whether that be, you know, people who are fans, people they're just in contact with on a daily basis, doing their work. Like, there's always conspiracy theories and theories and ideas that branch out all over the place. And so, yeah, a lot of these are super mysterious. And one thing about them, especially cases involving different celebrities, if they're actors or singers or whatever, you know, as fans or consumers of their media, you know, you watch their films, you listen to their songs or whatever, and you develop this kind of personal relationship of like what they mean, what they represent to you. And so it's it's a weird one of those where it's like, yes, this person is a stranger, but 
they're also someone who's like as influential in your life as a great friend or someone you feel like you have this relationship with. So with that, Brittany, what wine are you drinking today? The wine I'm going to be drinking today is the 2018 Penelonco Reserve Merlot Malbec from Chile. And this is one from Trader Joe's. And I want to tell you all about the wine before I tell you the price. So this is, first off, I I don't think I've ever had a combination of Merlot and Malbec. No. I know I've had them and they were like two of many and maybe like a red blend or a Bordeaux or something like that. Um, so that immediately just drew me in. I was like, okay, I've got to try this. So this wine is really smooth and it combines the ripe fruit from the Merlot with the rich blackberry notes of a Malbec. It's a wine that's intensely fruity, which it says that on the back. And I do not think this is going to be a fruity wine. I think it's going to definitely have notes of fruit because of that Merlot. But I wouldn't. I'm intensely fruity. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think this wine is like that. No. <laughs> so, um. It just pops open. I'm coming out. Oh, yeah. That's all we could sing. We don't have the rights to that song. <laughs> no. On the nose, there are aromas of black cherry and licorice. And then once you taste it, there's dark fruit, tobacco, and cocoa powder. So, like I said, it is going to be fruity. But it's not going to be sweet. The Merlot is also nicely balanced by the structure and the backbone of the Malbec. And when it comes to what to eat this with, it's really good with roast lamb, steak, barbecued meats, and cheeses. And reviewers said that it is a wine that drinks well above its price. So Tyler, guess how much I paid for this wine. Um, well, before I guess, one thing I do want to say is I'm really interested to see what you think, because you're not a big fan of Merlot. I've actually started to drink it more. I've had a couple of Merlots that were really good. I've also had some really shitty Merlots. So it's, yeah, it's still on the, it's not completely off the chopping block. Okay. Well, I know for me, the main reason I'm not a big fan of Merlot is that like velvety smoothness of them but Malbec is one I would describe as like a sharper more I don't know if you're thinking it in textures if you've got synesthesia you'll follow but like whereas a Merlot is very velvety a Malbec is almost like more gravelly and of a texture and so I feel like those would balance each other out real well as far as price goes I mean, I know you and no tr- Trader Joe's, so I'm going to guess like eight ninety nine. Well, I could have gotten two for that price because it was $4.50. Oh, shit. Okay. So I'm really interested to open this up and see how it tastes and see if it lives up to the glowing reviews. <laughs> wow, this cork is really in there. That broke. <laughs> oh, my God. There's like... You just pulled that cork in half. There's only like half an inch in there and the cork broke. It's <laughs> not like I tried to pull out. So I'm sticking the sticking the corkscrew in here. Let's try this again. There we go. Wow. Yeah, that is literally just the tip. It's just the tip that was still in the hole. 
<laughs> I'm 12. It's fine. Just pour your wine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see what this looks like. It's a nice medium color. So smelling this, I'm getting tobacco on the nose. I've got a bit of that black cherry for sure. I can smell that. And maybe a hint of licorice. It, it, it does still need to open up a little bit more, but... Oh, there's the licorice. I just swirled it around in my glass and it is absolutely there. I'm really excited about trying this wine. So Tyler, while my wine breathes a little bit, what wine did you pick? I picked the 2019 Menage a Trois Pinot Grigio from California. And this is a wine that probably most everyone is familiar with. Menage a Trois is a very common wine brand. And I feel like Menage a Trois is the kind of step above like cupcake. When, when I just think about wines, I feel yeah. like menage a trois is like the, oh, I'm newish to drinking wine, but I don't want to like come off as a novice, which if you're having to impress people by naming wines, they're probably not people you need to impress. They're probably people that don't matter. But um, anyway, it's it's kind of like apothic. Yes. It's one of those of you're like, oh, I drink this. And it's like, oh, they know their wine. Um, Pinot Grigio is not my favorite, but it's been a long time since we've done Pinot Grigio, and the reviews on this one, like, people really seem to love this wine. Really? Yeah. On one of the places I looked, it had five stars. The other one, it had four point something. So I was like, okay. Um, one review said that there's a noticeable improvement in taste as the chill comes off. So, you know, I'll... I'll see if that's true. Um, they didn't get any citrus, though, which is interesting because most of the reviews talked about citrus. Um, yeah. They said they got faint ripe peach on the nose, stone fruit with some vanilla, and nice finish with some minerality. Another person said that it's a nice California-style Pinot Grigio with citrus and lemon notes. It's very light, balanced, medium acidity with a pleasant finish. And they paired it with a creamy mushroom risotto. Yum. That sounds so good. The last one said that it's very fruity and pear-like with some apples and white grapes, which I'm like, oh, it's a wine that tastes like grape. Wow. Groundbreaking. <laughs> um, but this person said that Pinot Grigio is their least favorite white, uh, but this one was very refreshing and pleasant. So I was like, oh, same. Let's see. Also, it was like 10 bucks. Yeah, Menage a Trois is one of those wines that you constantly see at the stores. Like, it's pretty much everywhere. But when it comes to price, like, there are cheaper. So it's not, yeah. it's not like mine where I was just, like, looking at the bottom shelf being like, oh, well, I'll try that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. That was one of the loudest pops we've had in a very long time. You're making mine look like I don't I didn't even open it. Well, I mean, I didn't break the cork, so. True. Look at that. It looks like white wine. Yep, definitely just saw a piece of cat hair float into that. Oh, just adding some protein. Yeah, it's mm, keratin. Oh. That is very bright smelling. Sometimes talking about wine doesn't make any fucking sense. What smells bright? That's a 
That's a thing you see. <laughs> what tastes like the texture of velvet and gravel? What? T- did you just uh, bump your nose to the wine glass? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it smells very bright, citrusy. It has that bit of, like, hardiness, I guess, that you don't get from, like, a Sauvignon Blanc. Because those just smell, like, crisp and light. And this one smells like it has a little bit more, like, humph to it. Yeah, no, it smells like a Pinot Grigio, so. All right, well, you ready to cheers and try these wines? I am. I need this wine. Cheers. Cheers. What the fuck? (laughs) Mine's really good. This one is too. It's just that last, like, the flavor you get when you swallow (laughs) and then, like, open your mouth to breathe. I was not expecting. Okay. Yeah. But first, Brittany, tell me, is the wine worth the $4.50? Well, I mean, yeah, it's definitely worth it. But is it good? And does it seem like it's more than $4.50? And I would have to say, absolutely. I'm really impressed. I'm really impressed with how structured and layered this wine is and how each sip I take, I'm tasting different notes. I'm getting hints of definitely the blackberries for sure. The licorice. I'm not really tasting cocoa yet, but I think it still needs to open up a little bit. It has a bit of a sharp alcohol-y taste um, when you're swallowing and it gets kind of to the top of your mouth. Oh, For $4.50, this is a very good wine. It drinks more like a $10 bottle, is what I would say. I'm not sitting here saying it's drinking like a $20 bottle or anything. We'll give it about $10. But if you... This is like the Venus Chilinas. That's another of my like $4. I think that one's $4.99. No, it actually is probably also $4.49. But it's another one of those really inexpensive wines that Trader Joe's has that is priced far below the value. So... I highly recommend giving this one a try if you are trying to find some budget wines, but you want to look at something different. This Merlot Malbec is a really good one for red wine drinkers. So go get this one. It's the 28 Reserve Panalone Lonco. Definitely recommend it. It's got like a lion, like a lion statue bronze dude on the front. Oh, okay. It's a dude lion because he has a mane. So like, yeah. Okay. So tell me about the Menage a Trois Pinot Grigio. Is yours living up to what you read? Honestly? Yeah. I mean... You sounded a bit it, hesitant there. Well, it's it's a fine wine. Um, it's not. It's definitely not one that's going to like turn me over to like, oh, Pinot Grigio is my favorite white now. <laughs> uh, but it's good. It definitely... I'm getting like very citrus like a very lemony taste and then the swallow the part that like surprised me is kind of hefty almost like um uh, like an apple skin kind of oh yeah where it's a little bitter a little bit and i'm thinking that must be like some people are saying they taste like vanilla in it and i'm like i think that's more where that piece is coming from um interesting it's definitely a nice light you know bodied wine and yeah it 
it is the like quintessential I'm a California mom with an orange spray tan and I have a glass of this with ice cubes and a straw. Oh, like no. that's me right now. <laughs> Do you need to go get your straw? Uh, no. No. <laughs> it's just me as a mental image. I'm not about to drink wine out of a straw. I didn't just get my lips done. <laughs> well, okay. We've got our wine. We've talked about our topic. I am going to hop into my mysterious Hollywood death. Yes, tell me about your case. The case I did is the mysterious death of Thelma Todd. The sources I used, an article from the Chicago Tribune by Frank Sanello, an article from the LA Times that was pulled from their archive, so it's an article from 1935, and I could not find who wrote it. And then also an episode of BuzzFeed Unsolved, The Tinseltown Murder of Thelma Todd. So the death of Hollywood actor Thelma Todd in 1935, this hit the world with the same type of impact that would later occur because of the death of Marilyn Monroe and the murder of Sharon Tate. Thelma Todd was an actor in the prime of her career. She was loved. She was extremely well-known. And so she was a movie star in the 20s and 30s. But she was born in Massachusetts in 1906. And while she was going to school to train to be a teacher, she also modeled a little bit on the side, and she ended up winning the title of Miss Massachusetts in 1925. After she won this title... Paramount Pictures reached out to her and signed her for a one-year contract, and this started her Hollywood career. Oh. I mean, I guess if you're in a silent movie, being, like, gorgeous and reactionary is kind of kind of all you need to be an actor at the time. I mean, it's it's not like, oh, well, they have poor line delivery. That's fine. There are no lines. <laughs> this is a silent film. When, how long were silent films a thing? Like, when did sound come into play? Do you know? No, I don't know. Wasn't, wasn't The Wizard of Oz like the 30s, right? Well, what about Gone with the Wind? Gone with the Wind was in the, that was also in color. Did color happen like just after sound? Yeah, so I just had a little bit of a sidebar and I Googled a few things because I felt like that was going to be something important for us to discuss because Thelma Todd, I don't think, I don't think she was just in silent movies. I think she started out in silent movies, but movies started getting sound in the 30s and color became a thing in the late 30s, early 40s. So the two movies that we specifically just mentioned, The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, those were both from 1939, and they have sound and color. Yeah, as far as old movies go, that's about the oldest I know of, and then it goes to, like, the first film ever of, like, the horse running. So I'm like, anything that happened in that, like, I don't know, 40-year, 50-year time span in between the horse running which was just, I think, pictures just moving fast, which I guess that's exactly what film is. Whatever. That and, like, <laughs> Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz, I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you come upstairs and save me sometime? Film is uh, just a very fast flip book. During the Depression, 
Thelma Todd made a name for herself as a comedic actor. She was a cross between Goldie Hawn and Farrah Fawcett, except she was more popular. So, like I said, when her, her death was extremely impactful. She starred with the Marx Brothers in Horse Feathers and Monkey Business, and then also a string of other hugely successful comedies with Zazu Pitts, including Hot Dogs in the early 30s and Patsy Kelly. So in like today's terms, as as far as comparable actors... Kate Hudson. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I so mean, like a literally a name everyone knows. Yeah, I mean, people know who Goldie Hawn and Farrah Fawcett are. Maybe you don't. I mean, I know who they are, but as like a past thing. Okay. As like a, oh, big figures then. In case you um, didn't already know this, Goldie Hawn is Kate Hudson's mom. So that's why I said Kate Hudson. Yeah. Did you know that? I did know that. Okay. I do know things. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, That was one of those facts when I first learned it. I was like, oh, shit, okay. Anyway, one thing to note, though, in the 20s and 30s, Hollywood contracts were insanely strict. For example, one of her contracts had her weight listed at the time that she was hired and signed. And if she gained more than three pounds or lost more than six pounds from the number that was written in the contract, the entire contract could be terminated. Oh my god, three pounds? That's like you drank water that day. I know. So A gallon of water weighs eight pounds. Wow, I Fun didn't fact. know that. So if you drink a gallon of water and don't pee, which I don't advise, you'll burst your bladder that way, but you'll be eight pounds heavier. This is extremely toxic. This is something that... I wouldn't say necessarily goes on in Hollywood as far as in your contract, your weight's listed, but the pressure that you feel to be perfect and be a specific weight and look a certain way is that's still rampant today. And it's disgusting, but we all, we all know that that is a lot of what our society is built around and we've got to fight against that. Yeah. Because the fact that a normal woman's body is considered a plus-size model is beyond ridiculous. Yeah. Also, why do we have to call things plus-size anyway? Why? Why? You know what bothers me? Last thing, sorry. You know, one thing that really bothers me about the way women's jeans, for example, are measured, it's we have these arbitrary sizes. 8, 9, 12, 16, 24. But they don't mean anything because they're different everywhere you go. Why the hell can't women's jeans be like men's jeans where you've got your inseam, like the length and around the waist? Yeah, where it's literally the same everywhere because it's a measurement. Exactly. I have so... I could jump down this rabbit hole because there are a lot of things like this that really frustrate me. And we all just put so much pressure, men and women... We put all of this pressure on ourselves to be a specific way instead of just loving who we are and how we are and just mm-hmm. wanting to be healthy. So like a lot of Hollywood stars, Thelma quickly became addicted to diet pills. Which are basically just meth without the like high. Yeah. It, and it like speed. Is speed meth? Yeah, it's... Um, 
Essentially. So speed is amphetamines and meth is methamphetamine. So like these diet pills, though, are amphetamines. And basically the only difference is it's the same stuff without the like high, without the euphoria. So it doesn't feel like a drug drug. It's just it's medicine. But anyway, that's some intense shit. It really is. Also, for two years, from 1932 to 1934, she was married to agent Pat DiCaccio. But their marriage was anything but happy. When Thelma filed for divorce, she said it was because of grievous mental and physical suffering. Jesus. And she was also having a few struggles in her career, and she was sometimes blacklisted because she flat out refused to do some of the unfortunately more common things, such as entertaining, in quotes, producers at parties. And she was very outspoken about this. She didn't hide that these things were happening and that she was being asked to do them, which caused her to not get some roles. But at the same time, She was very well respected and she was very unique because not a lot of women were outspoken about these things. And again, literally just think about the Me Too movement. These things happen all the time. So Thelma was was someone who took the risk and spoke out even back in the 30s. Nevertheless, she very much enjoyed being social, and she dated people, and she was often seen at a lot of Hollywood parties. And she had a signature drink, which was three fingers of rye whiskey, which is a very hefty bore. <laughs> three fingers. Oh. oh, I was thinking it was going to be like a cocktail, like with this and that. No, straight whiskey and a lot of it. Yep. So she oftentimes would take that stereotypical dumb blonde because she was a blonde, but instead she was playing roles that elevated this, and her roles were oftentimes extremely independent women. So to say that she was before her time is, I mean, it's not giving her enough credit. She just was on on the forefront of feminism. She never wanted to be given a role because of her beauty. She said that no, she wanted to be in it for her. She wanted to work for it. She didn't want to get things because she was beautiful. That wasn't important to her. In addition to acting, though, she owned a restaurant, Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe. And this restaurant overlooked the Pacific Ocean in Malibu. And it was one of the places that all of the Hollywood glitterati, they flocked to, as well as politicians and gangsters. And her business partner was movie director Roland West, who she had been having an on-and-off-again affair with. Oh. Silent actor Jewel Carmen was also a business partner at the restaurant and happened to be Roland's wife. So Thelma, Roland, and Jewel, they all lived in two separate apartments, so like duplex apartments, above the cafe. And Roland and Jewel also had a house that was on top of the hill about 500 yards from the cafe. So they had like their apartment and their home. On December 14th, 1935, Thelma attended a party that was thrown for her at Cafe Trocadero, which is a very popular nightclub on Sunset Strip. 
Thelma was seen having an absolutely fantastic time. She was enjoying drinks, she was laughing with all of her friends, and she was even overheard betting with a few people that they were not going to show up the next morning at her restaurant for a meal. And she was like, if you show up there, you're going to get your meal for free. But I don't believe you're actually going to make it because we're having too much fun here tonight. Roland had asked her to be home by 2 a.m. And at 1.50, Thelma asked the theater manager to give Roland a call and let him know that she would be leaving soon. But she actually ended up staying at the party until about 3.15. She took a private chauffeured limo home And her chauffeur dropped her off at the sidewalk cafe sometime between 3 and 4.20 in the morning. And the next morning, the people that she had made the bet with at the party actually showed up at the restaurant to get their free meals. They were like, haha, Thelma, we totally told you we'd be here. They're like, we're hungover as shit, but we want some free food. (laughs) But we, this is exactly what we need because we're hungover as shit. Yeah. Please give me four strips of bacon, thank you, and two biscuits. I want those eggs to be so dripping in grease that they just slat around the plate. (laughs) However, no one actually saw Thelma at the restaurant, but the meals for all these patrons, they were comped. The next day, December 16th, so this is like two days after the party. The party was Friday night. Saturday was when they had their meals. This is Sunday. Thelma's maid, May Whitehead, began her morning routine. And as a part of this routine, she would go to Roland's house to get Thelma's Lincoln convertible ready out of the garage and bring it down to the cafe to Thelma. When May got to Roland's house and opened the garage, she found the body of Thelma inside the car, slumped over the steering wheel with a broken nose, bruises around her throat, and two cracked ribs. Oh, shit. Her obituary in the newspaper detailed how she was found very graphically. It said... Oh, my God. Well, so this is one thing that's interesting. I, Like I said, I, I read the article from 1935. Articles were written in a very different way. They were written more like prose and almost for, like, shock value than facts. So if you read an article from 20s, 30s, you know, from a long time ago, from 100 years ago almost. Oh my gosh, that's so weird. I read an article from Mm -hmm. almost 100 years ago. But when you read newspaper articles, they're biased, they're opinionated, they're sensationalized, and they're written more like prose. Now, while some articles today are still biased and opinionated, they're not written with the same level of prose. So... I originally was going to read y'all exactly what it said, but I kind of paraphrased it a little bit. But basically, they said that uh, coagulated blood disfigured her appearance, and it was staining her evening gown. And this was from her broken nose. And this is her obituary? The thing that today is like, survived by this many people, was born in this place, lived this life, the end, is loved. Send flowers, or send money in lieu of flowers. Like, oh my god, they're like, here's what exactly happened, as if this is, like, the most graphic episode of, like, CSI. So, my resource said obituary. I don't know if it's obituary in the same sense of how we do them now. I mean, still. 
Still, it's a little bit too much detail for the newspaper. So there had been a full day between when Thelma was last seen alive and when she was found dead. May immediately called the cafe manager who arrived at the garage and together they called a physician and the police, which you've got to remember, this is about 30 years before 911 would become a thing. So while this may seem really odd to us, it's, it's not like they, you would call a doctor. That's who you call. And the doctor's like, yeah, we should also probably call the police. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I also think as a like celebrity and famous person, you know, she might have like a personal physician, but like that kind of thing where it's like, they're almost on call for her. Right. And also there's the level of, she is a famous person and they got to figure out what's going on before word gets out. Yeah. When Thelma's mom found out, she believed that Thelma's recently discovered heart ailment could be part of the cause of her death. I mean, when people have heart attacks, they definitely break their ribs and their nose and get bruises around their neck. Most definitely. You didn't know that? So what happened to Thelma Todd? A grand jury determined that her death was caused by accidental carbon monoxide poisoning, which they categorized as suicide. There are a lot of different theories as to what happened to Thelma that night. And I'm going to go through what a few of those were. But at the end of the day, the grand jury determined it was suicide. So now let's look and see if we agree with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, before you go into your theories, um, I'm going to say no, I don't. I mean, she was strangled I, in a fight. Like, you know, bruises to your neck, broken nose, and broken ribs. I feel like that would be obvious. I agree. I don't believe this was suicide. But some of these injuries could also be caused by a fall. Not really the bruises on the neck, but the broken nose and the broken ribs. However, let me just get into a lot of the potential things that happened that night, and we'll we'll decide at the end which one we think is the most plausible. Okay. This is a case that the reason is still so popular is because everyone has their own ideas of what happened to Thelma that night. It was a cold December night, and Thelma, leaving the party, was wearing a very thin gown. She did have a mink coat with her, but maybe she wasn't wearing it. It was assumed that when she got home from the club to her apartment, she realized she was locked out. And so she trekked up to Roland's garage. So again, Roland's garage, he's like 500 yards away, the top of a hill. So it's a trek. So she trekked up there turned like got into the garage and decided to turn on the car to stay warm her mistake though could have been that she left the garage door closed but this does not explain any of her injuries except for maybe a fall but there are things that i'm going to get into later that make that seem like it definitely did not happen yeah i'm also why wouldn't she just like i don't know hey limo driver don't leave like or just go back and be like well my door's locked he had already left i go into more of that later too thelma's time of death was determined to be about 5 a.m on sunday morning and her autopsy doctor stated that carbon monoxide accounted for 70 percent saturation in her blood 
and that while there were other factors, the carbon monoxide poisoning was a contributing and significant factor that caused her death. While, like I said, her broken nose, it could be explained by a fall, or maybe even like falling against the steering wheel as she lost consciousness. That's a brittle nose. Yeah, she would have to really fall hard, and it's not like she was falling from any type of distance. I mean, like, I've got a schnoz, and I've hit it on (laughs) lots of things. I have fallen face first, and it's nose first hours before the rest of my face hits the ground. (laughs) I don't think I've broken her yet. No, I think you would know if you had. So, I'm not really buying that explanation, and also, this does not justify or explain her cracked ribs. Another thing is that Thelma really liked cars, and she knew a lot about them. And at the time, there was a media campaign going around warning people about accidental carbon monoxide poisoning, especially from, like, cars and and how that can happen. So it seems really unlikely that she's going to make the mistake and leave the garage door closed, even though she had been drinking. Like, it's one of those things that even when you're inebriated, there are things that you just know. And that's one of them. Open the garage. Yeah. I mean, especially, again, if she's really knowledgeable about them and also part of, like, a campaigning effort. Right. One of the biggest questions is how did she even end up in Roland's garage? Because, again, top of the hill, 500 yards away. This was on, like, uneven ground. It was a bit of a hike. But the shoes she was wearing did not show any sign that she had been walking distance a distance on uneven ground. It was also a little bit wet that night. And her hair was still in its nice uh, style that she had done for the party. It wasn't tousled like it might be if she'd walked quite a bit. And it was a really windy night. So what it seems to be more likely is that she was placed in the car. Yeah. Also, and maybe this is a stupid question, um, how did people used to open garage doors in the 30s? Um, Because, I mean, nowadays it's the, like, you got the beeper and it goes up. Or, I mean, at least you have the mechanical, like, handle and pull. Yeah, I think you just answered your own question. I mean, I guess there's counterweights and stuff. Because nowadays, most garage doors, you're not actually lifting that entire door. It's on a series of, like, pulleys and stuff. I guess pulleys aren't a new thing. I don't know. That sounds like a bitch, though. Every time you're going home, you have to park in the driveway, get out, lift the door. Lifting a fucking door? Just, Just get a carport. Dude... Let's be real. If you had a car and a garage, you were paying someone else to do that for you. I mean, but that means someone has the job title of, like, door lifter. Or I guess chauffeur. Chauffeur is probably the person who does it. Or a watchman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The people who created the show. <laughs> Which I still need to see. And literally all I know about the show is that it is the first and best like depiction of the Tulsa race massacre on like the silver screen is TV. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched it either, but I've put it on my HBO like 
list of, of things I need to start watching. Okay. Well, Thelma Todd's not in it, so I'll let you get back to her. Roland said that Thelma's actions were really suspicious because this was not the first time that she had been locked out of her par- her apartment. And she had never once walked to his house to sleep in her car. Roland also testified that Thelma knew that she could just wake him up to get inside and he would help her in either his house or like taking her back. Again, they were lovers. Like she knew she could just wake him up. And he even said that one time she broke one of his windows trying to get his attention. Well, there's that. I mean, but also his wife is her business partner. So even if like, I don't know, he's passed out cold or like they're both home. She could knock on the door and be like, hey, we're still friends and I know you let me in. It wouldn't be like if she was the secret mistress and like wife didn't know anything about her kind of thing. Either person who comes to the door knows her. Well, and Jewel knew about the affair, and this was an ongoing affair. This was still happening. This is not past tense. Was it a thing that, like, she knew and was cool with it or was, like, into it? Yeah, she didn't care. Good for her. Jewel didn't care. You know what? Thruple goals. Roland also stated that that night, his dog woke him up at about 4 a.m., which... You know, that's when we have heard that Thelma got home around that time. So maybe she had gone up to the house. But Roland said he did not get out of bed to go investigate what happened. So maybe Thelma heard the dog barking and she decided she didn't want to disturb Roland and Jewel. And so she just went into the garage, started her car for warmth, and she was waiting on the watchman to arrive. And the watchman would be able to let her into the apartment at the bottom of the hill. And then maybe she fell asleep on accident, which like, you don't accidentally fall asleep when you're surrounded by carbon monoxide. You fall asleep because you're getting carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah. But again, that still leaves out the whole thing of she would know she's aware of cars and carbon monoxide and how not to do that. So that just, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. I mean, but then again, it could also be explained away by like, Maybe she did leave the garage door open and she's napping in the car and then garage door just falls or watchman gets home and is like, this needs to be closed, close it without realizing she's there and she dies. And I don't know. But to your point, I don't think a garage door closing. I mean, it's not a quiet thing nowadays. I don't think it was very quiet then either. Well, he's not even getting out of bed when his dog is freaking out, so... Because let me tell you, when Max starts barking and it's 4am, I go from dead middle of REM (laughs) sleep to awake alert and ready to protect my family of animals that I have here instantly. (laughs) I mean, I get it. It's one of the most terrifying things to be woken up in the middle of the night by your dog, especially when they're right next to you. Yeah, usually it... (laughs) Usually what happens, because unfortunately they haven't learned their lesson, and the cats like to sleep beneath my feet, Yeah, they get kicked off the bed and, like, launched. (laughs) Because you jerk awake. (laughs) It's true. One of Thelma's friends, Martha Ford, was extremely surprised when she heard that Thelma had died, because Martha had actually gotten a call from Thelma on Sunday afternoon around 4 p.m., You know, the same Sunday that Thelma's body was found. 
in the morning. On the call, Thelma said she was on her way to Martha's house where a party was taking place with a surprise guest. Thelma even mentioned that she had been to a party the night before and was actually still wearing her evening clothes. And she was like, Martha, is that okay? And Martha was like, yeah, sure, just get here. The problem is, though, this supposedly happened 11 hours after the coroner said Thelma died. But Martha was adamant that this was Thelma who called her. She had known Thelma for years, and there was no way, absolutely no way, she was mistaken. However, phone records stated that there were no phone calls made from Thelma's property. However, she could have easily used a different phone, used a payphone, something of that sort. And one other thing, a waiter reported that around 2 p.m. on Sunday, he saw Thelma drive past his restaurant in her car. So those are two sightings, or well, like one is a phone call, one's a sighting of her after she was already dead. Well, um, I mean, the, the waiter seeing her drive by in a car, I mean, lots of people have cars and are beautiful. It's Los Angeles. Like, right. Also, with the phone call, what was the audio quality of phones like in the 30s? Because if it's like, well, hello there, over there at the party. At the, like, the, I don't know who the fuck that could be. <laughs> but Yeah, but if, if everyone's calling you with that same tone, you're going to be able to tell them apart, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, then, and then it would be easier for someone to be like, I'm Trixie. Hello, I'm Thelma. I'll be at the party. I'm wearing my evening clothes. Like, eh, I don't know. But also, because the only other inclusion is that she's like gone girling us. And I don't know about that. They have a body. They actually have that's a kind body. Of the, the, that's kind of the part of Gone Girl that made it possible. Yeah, there was no body. Also, big spoilers, by the way. But also, that movie and book have oh. been out for years. Go read them if you want to get really mad. Also, uh, her monologue, that in itself, as a physical piece, is a gay icon. Just so you know. The more you know. And the star. Da, da, da. Yeah. And there's another wrinkle in the timeline. And that is the peas and carrots that were found in her stomach. Because neither of those things were served at the party. This could suggest that maybe she was picked up after her chauffeur dropped her off. In which she ate and then was taken to Roland's garage. So that would answer the questions of like, it didn't look like she walked there. But what makes this whole possible accident even more difficult to accept were the contents of her purse. So inside her purse that was in the car with her, she had a- Peas and carrots. (laughs) And that's where the food came from. It was a to-go box. No. Just an open can. Oh. (laughs) It's her snack. (laughs) Inside her purse, there were not peas and carrots. Sorry. There was lipstick, cigarettes, a handkerchief- and a coin purse. And inside the coin purse was the key to the side door of her apartment building. So this led a lot of people to believe that this was no accident that Thelma Todd was murdered. And it's because of all of these circumstances that it makes sense why the coroner's report stated that her death seemed to be accidental, but that they recommended further investigation by the proper authorities. Even the coroner did not think this was an accident. 
Yeah, because all of the, like, in my head, I was just thinking, like, well, maybe she was, like, so drunk from the party, she didn't think about that key. But then, in that case, if she's that drunk, and she does the, like, (laughs) drunk walk up this hill 500 yards, her shoe's gonna be fucked, her hair's (laughs) gonna be fucked. Like, Like, all of my counter reasons counter out each other. And this driver is sure he dropped her off at her apartment? Yeah, her apartment. It, this was her chauffeur. I mean, I guess it's the... It's the restaurant. Yeah. There is no because, accidental wrong place dropping her off. Well, I mean, he's not an Uber, I know. <laughs> um, because to me, all of this would be explained if he dropped her off like at the house. But he didn't. She ate peas and carrots somewhere. There's only like an hour where all this stuff happened. Unless, shit, unless it's the 30s. So they're like, it was 5 a.m. that she died. And they don't know. It could have been 8 a.m. So let's look into the possibility of this being a murder. There was absolutely nothing stolen from Thelma's purse. And so it was pretty unlikely that a stranger attacked her and robbed her and killed her. The main suspect was Roland West. He was known yeah. he was known to be a jealous man and if he found out about any new men that Thelma was seeing, he he got jealous. And so maybe he found out about a man and it set him off. On his deathbed, Roland actually admitted to being at fault for Thelma's death and accidentally locking her in the garage. However, his accounts of the night are filled with contradictions and inconsistencies. And like we talked about in the last episode, with no evidence, deathbed confessions don't hold any weight. They just don't. Also, the bruising on her neck, her broken rib, and broken nose. Like, still not explained. Another suspect is Roland's wife, Jewel. So while jealousy would be something that would make more sense in the wife versus mistress case, like we talked about earlier, Jewel had no issues with the affair. But what the Chicago Tribune actually reported was that Jewel was mad at Thelma for squandering money from the restaurant. But again, there is no evidence to back this up and that Jewel was involved in any way in Thelma's death. Well, and it also to me seems likely that it's like a oh it's the 30s she's a woman she's emotional about everything what do you mean she's not emotional about the affair well she had to be emotional about something then the business they were partners in like right no what if she was just a stone-cold lesbian in a fake marriage or if she's just one of those she's just a dom top in her marriage and she's like i want to watch Or if she literally is like, I don't care, our relationship's built on emotions. Fuck whoever you want. Like, I I hate to break it to you, people in the 30s who are judgmental fucks. Women are complex people (laughs) and are people. So, you know. There's that. A third suspect is Thelma's ex-husband, Pat DiCaccio. He was said to have a violent temper, and he was abusive to his second wife. So, people also believe he was abusive to Thelma. Yeah. Thelma actually ran into Decaccio at the nightclub the night before her death, so like that Friday night. 
And many people said that their conversation seemed really heated. But at her trial, Decaccio said he didn't even know she was dead until, like, then, until he was, like, subpoenaed for trial. He's like, I didn't even know she died. Which, number one, uh, like, that's no, that's stupid. You did. You knew. Yeah. I'm like, it's in the papers and stuff. Like, if the entire city of Los Angeles knew that day, because it's, like, in the news and shit, you knew. Also, that's telling me that none of your friends or anyone called you and was like, oh my god, I'm so sorry about your ex-wife. Like, really? You didn't know? You got called to this trial and you're like, I don't know what this could be. Apparently, in her will, which was dated while they were still married, she left him one dollar. Mm, we love a petty bitch. Burn. The fourth and a popular suspect at the time was mobster Lucky Luciano, who was said to have put a a hit out on Thelma. In 1935, the year of her death, Thelma received eight threatening letters demanding that she pay $10,000, and all of these letters were signed by Ace of Hearts. A few months after the letters were received, two people were actually arrested in connection with writing them. But Thelma was dead four months later, and she had always felt that these letters she was receiving were mob-related. So apparently, Luciano wanted to set up a casino on the third floor of her restaurant, but Thelma refused, and so he put a hit out on her. So maybe... After she was dropped off at the cafe, someone associated with Lucky Luciano picked her up, took her out to eat, killed her, and staged the scene in Roland's garage. Also, Luciano left the area never to return just after Thelma's death. Well, and you did mention earlier that her restaurant was full of the famous, the politicians, and mobsters. However, the reality is, there is no evidence that Thelma and Lucky ever actually met, and there is no sign of violence at the scene of her death. While, yes, her injuries look violent, there's there's no chaos at the scene. Nothing looks like there was a struggle. Well, and it sounds like one of those things that's like, convenient. Like, oh, these mobsters in the area, maybe it was a mob hit. And also, I feel like mob hits wouldn't be like that. This seems, like, too theatrical and too, like, they just they just assassinate you and then, like, you're done. There, there isn't all yeah. of this mystery and detailed shit going on. Well, and I feel like most mob hits, they want you to know who did it. Because if after this, you know, Roland had been extorted... Maybe. Right. But I feel like there wouldn't be a point to a mob hit of like, she didn't pay us, let's get her, and then not follow up about anything. Like, the mob's a business. That's not how they do shit. It's a really good point that I didn't even think about. Because the whole, like, $10,000 after the letters, it was just dropped. So I'm not thinking this was lucky. No, I feel like if the mob was involved and they wanted to get $10,000 from her, which I don't know how much money that was back then, probably a shit ton, but 
now it's like, ooh, $10,000. Woo! But I feel like they would have maybe kidnapped Roland and held him for ransom. Or, I don't know, done something to get the money because that's the goal. Just straight up being like, you're not going to pay? Die. That doesn't solve anything and then puts you at risk of going to trial for murder. Like, that's dumb. Pretty much. So if it wasn't murder and it wasn't an accident, was it purposefully committed suicide? Another theory is that Thelma committed suicide on purpose in the garage of her lover. Not only did she actually have her key, but her chauffeur also stated that she was unusually quiet on the ride home and that she didn't ask him to walk her up to her door like she usually did. Another source said that she also heard an upsetting message the night of the party, so something was bothering her. Again, with her knowledge of cars, she would have known that this was a form of suicide. But this theory doesn't actually hold a lot of weight, because her actions weren't showing this type of behavior around the time of her death, which I need to point out, this is not necessarily a tell. Because you do not always know what is going on in someone else's head. A lot of the times people commit suicide and no one knew they were thinking that. So don't ever assume something like that. There is a like list of warning signs that you might not recognize to look up. I know one of them is like someone who's been like obviously depressed suddenly being really happy or someone like suddenly giving away stuff that's like always been important to them obviously not necessarily but are things to look out for not in every case so just because she didn't do these things doesn't mean she wasn't and also if you know someone that is doing these things it doesn't necessarily mean that they are contemplating suicide But there are warning signs to look out for. Yes. And if you or someone you know is having suicidal thoughts and you need to talk to someone, there are people you can reach out to. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Line. They're open 24-7. And just so we can have this out there, they're available in English and Spanish. And the number is 1-800-273-8255. So if you need to talk to someone or know someone who does or need to call and talk about someone that you're concerned about, give them a call. That's what they're there for. Also, if you don't feel comfortable talking to someone on the phone and feel more comfortable texting, you can always text HOME. That's H-O-M-E to 741-741. That's the crisis text line. You'll be connected immediately to a crisis counselor if texting is a more comfortable option for you i've texted them before and used it and it's been very helpful in times of crisis so it's a great resource that is out there i didn't know you could text the crisis hotline that's really good to know yeah and i think the national suicide prevention hotline like if you google it on your computer or phone i think there's a chat option Like when you go to websites and they're like, customer service support chat. Like, I think they have that same thing. So you have the ability to chat online. But yes. So like I was saying, 
This theory for Thelma doesn't hold a lot of weight. Not only did she seem to not be acting like she was suicidal, but at this time, her restaurant was extremely successful. She had just signed a new movie contract, and her trunk and apartment were filled with over a 100 Christmas presents for friends and family. She'd also been talking about a new man that she had just started seeing who lived in San Francisco. So there's a lot of things that don't add up here. And again, you can't always assume you know what's going on in someone's head. But to say that Thelma was either depressed or was... Because this was done in Roland's garage, if this was a suicide, you would think there would be a connection. But even then... Like I said, Jewel was fine with the affair, it was even business partners with Thelma. So there's not like anything negative is going on there. It's to me, it's more likely that Roland heard about this San Francisco guy and got jealous and killed her than Thelma committing suicide because of some type of love triangle with Roland. Yeah, well, and also, again, like a lot of the other theories, it doesn't explain the bruising on her neck or her injuries. And like, maybe, I don't know, she had previously like, that night tried to hang herself and fell and that could explain her injuries. But then there would be clear evidence of that, you know, there would be a rope, or at least there would be rope marks on her. So even in that way, even in a way that follows this theory and does try to explain away, it doesn't. It doesn't. So, I yeah, I don't know about that one. So whether it was an accident, murder, or suicide, to this day, the official record says suicide, but to a lot of people, and the general consensus is that this is still unsolved. Thelma was only 29 years old when she died. And there are enough inconsistencies in her final hours that have kept her story alive to this day. So that is the mysterious death of actor Thelma Todd. Wow. Yeah, that's that's definitely suspicious. I don't know. Because I feel like in your case, there's no obvious explanation that only a few things don't fit. Because even the official thing of like oh she was drunk and like got in her car there's too many things there's her injuries there's the fact that her hair her shoes her dress was in pristine condition that don't add up that that's too much to like take out of consideration because sometimes in mysterious cases the official theory will feel wrong but there will just be a few things that don't fit and maybe those are happenstance or not related This one, there's no theory that I feel like fits more than, like, 50% of the evidence. I know. And what we know is that she clearly went somewhere else after she was dropped off. Because how else would you explain the peas and carrots? And it wasn't like they had been in her stomach very long. They had only just begun to digest, which meant she died not long after she ate. Yeah, and also, I feel like that might tell more than it might seem at the surface, because who, like, what kind of meal is peas and carrots? It's very weird. It's not, that's not even like a hangover meal. Yeah, well, and it's not like, oh, she was taken to, 
you know, a restaurant or something that was open. Because what one, what restaurant is open at 4 a.m. that's not like a diner? I don't know. It's Los Angeles in the 30s. I don't know how it works. But, you know, it, honestly, if she had like a shake and a burger in her, I'd be like, okay, you know, that makes a little more sense if she was taken to a diner or something. But peas and carrots doesn't feel like something you'd get at a restaurant. But I also know that with the pressure she was facing from her, literally her contract saying, you have to stay in this weight because we're misogynistic little bitches. Maybe she would go to a diner and be like, I'll have the mixed vegetables. I know. I thought of that too, that maybe she's not going to go out and eat a burger and get a shake. She is going to go have the side of peas and carrots because if she's on diet pills and she's been drinking and she's been having a great time, she's probably not like actually hungry. She's probably just eating because she's been drinking, but because of everything that's been drilled into her head, she's like peas and carrots. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that there's just so much that is unexplained. And again, I don't know a ton about forensics and, like, medical shit from the 30s. Like, what all they knew, what all they didn't know. I don't either. But that, to me, I'm suspect on because I don't know. Is there a possibility that what they saw in her neck as bruising was actually just darkened pink skin from carbon monoxide poisoning? I don't know. I don't know how much they knew then. And that's why this case is still a mystery. Damn. So, Tyler, what's your mysterious Hollywood death? The case I'm doing today is the disappearance and death of Natalie Wood. I had a feeling either of us were going to pick this. I mean, when the topic is mysterious Hollywood deaths or murders, however we title this, Natalie Wood is like the main focal point. Because I feel like even though she is an actor that... I don't think I've ever seen any of her movies. Um, She's definitely not one who's known for her acting in my generation. We still know of the mystery surrounding her death. Yeah, we do. So the sources I used, I also used an episode of BuzzFeed Unsolved, The Strange Drowning of Natalie Wood. I'm telling you, I love Shane and Ryan. I could just sit and binge those on YouTube for so long. I want to date both of them. Maybe at the same time. I can't decide which one I want more. Ryan, although my general views and skepticism are definitely more Shane, but I also follow Shane on Instagram, and his girlfriend is another person who used to work at BuzzFeed, and they're so fucking adorable together. (laughs) And, I mean, they're both straight. Like, I'm out. Like, deuces, it's fine. Like, whatever, I get it. As if we had opportunity, but sure. You know, stranger things have happened. Listen to The Last Great American Dynasty by Taylor Swift on Folklore, available on iTunes and Spotify now. Because it it tells the story of this suburban uh, wife who married the oil baron and became the name. So I think you are more Shane. I'm definitely more Ryan. Oh, oh, yeah. No, because anytime you're like, well, and could it have been aliens? I'm like, it wasn't there. No. <laughs> that or just the person who kind of like grounds it and is like, okay, 
let's get back to the topic. We're talking about this case. Hashtag, but logically. <laughs> I'm just saying, thank you, Shane and Ryan, for the hours of entertainment. But Can you imagine what it would be like if they listened to us? Like, y'all, listen, listeners, tag them in everything. That would be amazing. But, Tyler, I will let you get back to your sources. I didn't even let you get started. I just got off on a BuzzFeed tangent. <laughs> That's fair. So, my sources, BuzzFeed Unsolved, and then an article from The Cut by Madeline Agler. And those were my two sources. Because they both go in, or I guess all three of them go into real depth. So... Natalie Wood. It's a name that I think most of us know, at least most of us in the U.S. I honestly have no idea internationally how well she's known. I always wonder that when it comes to, like, Hollywood actors or, like, singers and stuff, because I know, like, Lady Gaga, yeah, she's famous around the world. But I also know that, like, when I was... As I've never said before on this podcast, in Norway, the, like, actors and stuff and, like, the actors and singers that are hugely popular, yes, it's some American, it's a lot of English, but it's also a lot of Norwegian uh, actors and singers and stuff. So, I don't know. I don't know if she was at the level of, like, global fame or just American, but... This is the story of Natalie Wood. You know, I love it when there are actors and musicians from other countries that become really famous in America. Because it's one of... Um, fucking Dua Lipa? Are you kidding me? Physical? Literally excised me? I left my body? Came back? And then started an 80s aerobic dance routine to it? If you haven't listened to Physical by Dua Lipa... I will actually give you permission to pause us, <laughs> pull it up on your Spotify listen, and then come back to us. Like, it's it's like three minutes long, like, come back to us after it. But I'm telling you. It's just one of the things that makes me think that not all Americans are so focused on, like, America. Does that make sense? Like, so narrow-sighted. Yeah, I mean, just because Hollywood's here does not mean that's where all movies are made. Just because we have a lot of major record labels here doesn't mean that's where all the global singer-songwriters are. I mean, think of someone like Shakira. Yeah, she's big in the U.S., but globally, she is... I mean, I I can't even think of another artist that would compare to her. Rihanna, not an American artist. She's from Barbados. Globally, I would say probably the biggest singer out there. And there are so many actors from uh, Bollywood movies, for example. Yeah. That are not known here, but globally are like the fucking superstars. But anyway, Natalie Wood. So just, again, though, contextualizing fame... Because I think it's an important part in understanding who Natalie Wood was. So she was born on July 20th of 1938 in San Francisco, California. Uh, When she was born, her name was Natalia Nikolaevna Zakarenko. And she was the daughter of Russian immigrant parents Nikolai and Maria. So Natalie Wood is her stage name. 
She was one of the biggest actresses in Hollywood at the time. She had starred in movies like Miracle on 34th Street, Rebel Without a Cause, West Side Story. She was Those big. are big like, movies. Think, I mean, those are movies that we know today. 50, just kidding, 70. Oh my God. 70 years later is the 50s. And, I mean, think like Anne Hathaway level of famous and name recognition. We talking Princess Diaries level or Les Miserables? I mean, honestly, from everything it sounds like, and people that are older than me that, like, knew Natalie Wood movies growing up and stuff, maybe correct me, I'm thinking, like, Anne Hathaway today. Like, that level of fame. It's awesome. By the way, I love her. I Anne Hathaway is one of my favorite people. She is one of like two or three act three actresses, let's be real, that I will go on Netflix and just type their name to see what there is. I have watched so many of her movies and my favorite to this day is One Day, which is not one of her Oh, you love that I one. Love no, it. I hated it. It's not one of her big ones. But that is my favorite non-Stephen King book, and that movie tears me up. It's so good. If you are in need of a good cry, watch that movie, and don't at me if you don't like it. I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) I just said I don't like it. We have a podcast together. I'm your sibling. We have to talk. Uh, But also, The Devil Wears Prada is her best movie ever. Don't at me. It's true. Sorry. (laughs) one. But anyway, Natalie Wood, not Anne Hathaway. So Natalie Wood, when she was a child, her mom met this fortune teller that told her that Natalie was going to die of drowning. And because of that, her mom filled her with this like fear of dark water. I didn't know that. And that is such an eerie premonition. Uh, Yeah, if y'all remember the title of the BuzzFeed article that I said, uh, yeah. It, uh, this is definitely setting the stage of, like, some eerie shit. Because when Natalie was 10, she was on a film set, and she was on, like, a makeshift bridge filming a thing, and it broke, and she fell into water, and she almost drowned. And after that, you know, she already has her mom making her terrified of water. She had this, like, drowning experience when she was 10, Her fear is, like, cemented. Like, she was even scared to, like, wash her hair, which is how terrified of water she was. Oh. And she obviously had, like, these recurring nightmares about drowning because hashtag PTSD, y'all. Don't use that hashtag. But, like, this is one of those cases of, at this point, it's the late 40s, they don't understand PTSD, This is absolutely PTSD. Yeah, it is. So flash forward to when she was 18, she started dating and then she married this actor named Robert Wagner. And I'm going to say a lot of names of actors. I I don't know who they are. I don't know who Robert Wagner is. There's one name I'm going to say later. I very much know who he is. So does everyone who knows about this case, but that's okay. I mean, yeah, but um, I don't know what movies Robert Wagner was in, but he was also huge. I mean, this is like when Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie married, kind of levels of like, ah! big deal. 
That was my vocal representation of the tabloids. And because of this, they were like the favorite subject of fan magazines. But unfortunately, their marriage didn't last. And in 1962, they wound up splitting and divorcing. But after another marriage to another actor and a subsequent divorce, Natalie and Wagner actually reconnected and they wound up remarrying each other in 1972. So 10 years after their first wedding, they had a second oh, one. Well, there you go. Sometimes you decide to get back together. Yeah. Sometimes people uh, grow together. Sometimes they grow apart and grow back together. So they're together, but all of these years and being in the public, they were not easy on Natalie. People had been telling her what to do her entire life. I mean, when she was five is when she started acting. So growing up, she had always been under direction from directors and producers. And even her mom being like, this is what you do and you have no independence. So she became an adult didn't level any more independence and had always just grown up with people being like, this is what you do. And she was in therapy, but even after being in therapy for years in 1966, so before her remarriage to Wagner, she reached like a deep low point in her life. And that year she tried to kill herself by drug overdose. But Thankfully, she survived, and as part of her recovery, she took a break from making movies to regain her independence and gain a semblance of self. Yeah. Because a big part of it is she was like, I don't know who the fuck I am. I am all of these characters I've played since I was five, but who who the fuck is Natalie Wood? And so she was like, you know what, I'm... I'm going to put this on hold. I know that I'm the biggest Hollywood star at the time or whatever, but I need to do this for myself and I need to know who I am. Yeah. And that is fucking powerful. It's extremely powerful when an actor takes time to be themselves because mm-hmm. it it take, it's a risk. I mean, and I hate saying that. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a risk to take a step back. But it is. Yeah. So now we flash forward to late November of 1981. She's back into acting. She's still this huge star. And over this weekend, Natalie and Wagner, who, again, she's now remarried to. They've been married for nine years. They decide to take some time. They're going to go to Catalina Island, which is, like, just off the coast of California. Like, just off Los Angeles. And they're going to go on their yacht. And they invited another actor who was uh, Natalie Wood's co-star in a movie she was filming at the time. Christopher Walken, who is the actor I know. And it always, like, trips me up being like, oh, right. Christopher Walken is involved in this. I know. Because it's it's one of those things of, I know Christopher Walken from today and from like the 2000s and onward movies he's done. And this case, while it happened in 1981, because I don't know or have seen the movies of these actors involved, it's on like a sliding scale of like, it could have been the 60s. 
it's the 80s. Like, uh, it, it just feels like the past Hollywood. Yeah. But then Christopher Walken suddenly evolved, and I'm like, oh, well, that's jarring. That's a name I know. So, Natalie Wood, Robert Wagner, Christopher Walken, they're, they're going on the yacht together. They're spending the weekend relaxing, doing their thing. And reportedly at this time, some people thought that there might have been something going on between Natalie and Walken. Really? And, yeah. And Wagner even suspected this, and he was very overprotective of Natalie. So... Around noon on Friday, November 27th, the group, they set sail. They get on the boat. They're like, woo! Also on the boat is the boat's captain, Dennis Davern. So it's the four of them on this yacht. And they're like, we're going to have a party weekend. So they spend time. They're enjoying themselves. They're drinking a lot. But also, Natalie and Wagner, they argued a lot. And on Friday night... So, literally the night they kind of set sail, there was a very heated argument between Natalie and Wagner to the point where Davern, the captain, he took Natalie to shore and spent the night with her in a hotel because she was like, fuck this, I'm out, I'm not doing this shit, I need you to, like, get me in the dinghy, take me to shore. Because also, remember, she's fucking terrified of water. So she's not just going to peace out on her own. She, like, needs him to take her there. And the two of them, they stayed in the hotel room together. They, like, spent the night drinking wine. But Davern was the kind of guy that he said he was very protective of her. And they had this good, like, friendly relationship. So nothing happened. No, they're just friends. It honestly, I'm like, dude, you gay. Because he sounds like our gay best friend. No, that's what, I mean, that's what I'm thinking, too. Because it sounds exactly like he's just the friend that she wants to confide in and that he's totally there for her and not trying to take advantage of her like some dudes would do. Exactly. But there are some theories that think maybe not. But from everything, like, I saw in my research and stuff, obviously I didn't know them, but I'm like, nah, it just seems like they're friends, like... Men and women can be friends. Sorry if that bursts your damn bubble. I would say it depends. I'll I'll I mean, leave it at that. I have a lot of gay friends. I haven't dated any of them. But also I will say, in the gay world, that's weird. Um, I think people who are gay are like further advanced in social activity and lives. Like your community oh, is yeah, so no. much better than the straight community. Straight community, we're all just like, oh, I don't know. Are we friends or should we fuck? I have no idea. Oh, yeah. No, we're we're better than y'all. Like, that's that's just a straight up fact. Like, we're going to take over the world. Wow, is that a part of y'all's pledge that you say before every meeting? Uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the gay community gets together. We all hop on a Zoom call. All like, you know, 400 million of us. Just kidding. 800 million of us. It's 10%, y'all. Also, everyone's basically a little bi. Like, get it through your head. Sexuality's a spectrum. Anywho, Natalie and Davern, they're just friends. They spend the night at the hotel drinking wine. She's like, fuck him, fuck this. And he's like, yas, sis, go off. But the next morning, she's like, you know what? Let's go back to the yacht. 
Um, I want to stay the weekend. And so they get back in the dinghy, head back to the yacht, and then the four of them are back together, and they head to the shore. They're going to go to the bar, and they drank. Like y'all. Between the four of them, they had two bottles of wine, two bottles of champagne, and a ton of daiquiris. And it wasn't like a long-ass, like, they were there all day kind of time period. I think it was mostly like a late afternoon into evening, so they were deranking. Wow, so they were there for like three to four hours at the most. Yeah. And I mean, I say that, and it's like, wow, that's a bottle of wine between each of them as we finish a bottle of wine each (laughs) podcast. But also daiquiris. We don't finish our podcast off with a daiquiri. Uh, But yeah, yeah. Anyway, after dinner, I guess, like they did eat. Natalie didn't really eat much. She picked at her food, so she mostly just drank. Um, But after that, they get back to the yacht at about 10 p.m., and they're all real drunk. And that night, on the yacht, Wagner and Walken, they apparently got into a very heated, quote-unquote, debate. It sounds like a fucking fight argument, but some people said, (coughs) Wagner said it was a debate. That's a fancy word for fight. They got in a fight. Wagner was like, oh, it was a political debate and stuff. Literally everyone else was like, no, they were just a fucking screaming match. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And Natalie was done with it. She was like, I don't want to fucking be here for this. Like, deuces. And so she pieces out. They're all like on the boat at this point. And she's like, I'm going to bed. I'm done with y'all. And so for the next hour, the two began, quote unquote, debating. Or continued debating. And then the next thing that happened, according to Wagner, is he, you know, they finished their debate. You know, they're full on on stage, all that shit. Um, And he's like, I'm going to go kiss Natalie goodnight. But when he gets to her room, which they're married, so I assume their room, um, she's not there. She's gone. Simultaneously, at about midnight... A couple that was on a nearby boat, they heard shouting coming from this boat that the four of them were on from their yacht. And they heard a woman yell, help me, please help me, coming from this boat. And they also heard a very drunk man respond, okay, honey, we'll get you. Like in this super mocking tone. Oh my God. Like, Okay, honey, we'll get you. I don't know. I don't know how to do it without being real gay. Oh, honey, we got you. That's probably not what it sounded like. But because they heard that and they heard like this mock in the tone, there was this other boat nearby that was like having this party. And they were like, oh, the yelling's probably coming from over there. And it's like party people like dicking around. Like someone fell into the pool and they're like, ah me i'm in my clothes whatever so they don't report it it wasn't coming from the party boat y'all allegedly it allegedly probably wasn't coming from the party boat even if it was because about 1 30 that night wagner and the captain made a distress call to the shore that natalie wood had disappeared and about six hours later at 7 30 a.m Natalie's body was found floating in the ocean just about a mile away from the yacht. 
She was wearing just her nightgown, socks, and this, like, red down jacket. And the yacht's dinghy, which was, you know, the one that Natalie and the captain had taken to the shore that first night, it was found washed up on the shore of Catalina Island, like, not far from her body. Like, maybe she tried to take it to shore. She was like, fuck it, and she tried to leave because she was wearing a jacket. That is a theory. That's a theory I'll get into. But she reportedly that night had had seven to eight glasses of wine and her blood alcohol level was 0.14, which what that looks like is 0.14. It's about twice the legal limit to drive. And at that point, apparently you have like major problems standing, walking, like sitting up straight, your memory is cloudy. You like the fun of drinking is gone. You're like mumbling and not speaking clearly, and you might get to the blackout stage. Like it's like that gross level of drunk. Yeah. Where you where you do the gorilla stomp when you're like walking back to your place where you're like <laughs> you, you know exactly what I mean. I do. Um, um that is the not fun stage. Yeah. That's the you had too much and you should just go to bed yeah that's the go to bed and have a friend check in on you every like 10 minutes to make sure you're sleeping on your side and not gonna choke yep if you vomit yeah so she was drunk and because of all of that her death was ruled an accident the theory was she had been real drunk she probably tried to like she was like fuck this after the argument and tried to leave on the dinghy and she'd fallen out. And there were a couple things that kind of supported that. There were like scratch marks on the side of the dinghy. And also with how she was dressed stuff like it, that was kind of the theory and that was the official ruling. She also had bruising on her arms and legs and a cut on her cheek. But they attributed that to her, like, falling into the water and trying to get back into this rubber dinghy. But a lot of her friends and her fans and her family, they were not satisfied with this conclusion. And so rumors started to just swirl. And one of the big reasons of this that her sister Lana pointed out was that she couldn't swim. And she had been terrified of water all her life so there is no fucking way that she is going to get in the dinghy by herself and leave on her own especially because literally friday night when she'd wanted to leave she'd been like captain take me like we're leaving and she didn't she didn't alert the captain to like take her to shore and just with how terrified she was of water again as a child scared to even wash her hair yeah she's not gonna fucking get in the dinghy on her own regardless of how drunk she is i agree and that is what felt far-fetched for that theory for me but to be totally honest i'm surprised she's on the yacht in the first place yeah that was a thought i also had that with how scared she was of water that she would get on a yacht but if it's a yacht and big enough to have these multiple rooms 
I can see how it doesn't feel the same. And also, like, when they were docked and stuff, they're just off the coast of Catalina Island. So, yeah, I mean, it's not one of those things that she was jumping off and swimming in the ocean around the boat at all. But I could see how, with it being a big enough yacht, like, it not being the same kind of thing of, like, triggering that fear of the water. Right. But that was the official ruling, was that it was an accident, she fell in and drowned. And then we flash forward 30 years to November of 2011. Okay, that's really far in the future. Yeah. It stayed that for 30 years, even with all of her family and fans and friends being like, that doesn't fucking make sense. That was what the official ruling was. But in November of 2011, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department announced that they were reopening the case. No shit, really? Yeah. The sheriff's homicide investigators, they were contacted by a person who stated they had additional information about her drowning. And due to this initial information, the Homicide Bureau decided that they needed to take another look at this case. Uh, Okay, so you have officially gone into the part that I've never heard of. I've heard of what you've gone over already, but this is entirely new information. So, at the same time this investigation is opened up and it's announced, Davern, who's the captain... He had an interview with the Today Show, and he said that he believed Wagner was responsible for her death. Now, one caveat I do need to make is he also made a lot of these, like, statements and, like, his view on th- on everything that happened to tabloids throughout the years, so... It doesn't necessarily feel as reliable as if these were, like, statements he made to the police. Right. But he said that Wagner and Walken had gotten into a, like, really big argument fight that night. And that when Natalie left the room, like, she left because she was embarrassed of Wagner doing this in front of her co-worker and having this huge fucking fight... So she fucking left. Wagner, like, smashes a wine bottle because he's angry and pissed. And then he followed her and, like, started arguing with her. Soon after this argument, that was when Natalie went missing. He also said that, like, Wagner did not want them to take any steps to see if he could locate her. Like, didn't want him turning on the floodlights, didn't wanting him turn on the engine... And he said that Wagner didn't want him to, like, notify the authorities and such. Which, that last one, I'm like, well, y'all, y'all called for help at 1.30. And just, like, judging by this timeline, it was around midnight to 1 that she was missing. So, I could see being like, well, let's look for her before we, like call the police because if she's out i don't know being drunk and swimming which she wouldn't but if that's what's happening we're not gonna call the police but not turning on the searchlights 
no. Also, the engine, I can understand being like, okay, well, what if she gets, like, her legs chopped off? But I'm also terrified of boats, so. The boat engine? Always scary. I don't want to get my legs cut off. Nope. So, but he was saying that, like, Wagner was really pushing him to, like, basically not search for her. And there was then a statement from Wagner's publicist that was saying that Wagner fully supported the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, like, reopening this case and, like, relooking at everything, but also that... They hoped it would be careful in evaluating the information from someone who was trying to profit from the 30th year anniversary of her death. Because, again, this is literally the month of her anniversary of her death. Wow. Davern is selling a lot of his stories to, like, the tabloids and stuff. So I can see where that's coming from. It doesn't necessarily mean he's wrong, But I can absolutely see the argument. I can totally see the argument both ways. It's like when opportunity comes a knock in, hey, maybe I should open my mouth. But also, hey, it's the anniversary. Let's exploit this. I can see it both ways. Yeah, exactly. Christopher Walken also at the time, he denied having really any knowledge about what happened to her that night. He was asked about what happened in 1986 in an interview with people magazine and he just told them i don't know what happened she slipped and fell in the water i was in bed then and it was terrible thing and then he like redirected the conversation he's like look this is a conversation i'm not gonna have like this was my friend my co-worker who died i was there i'm not gonna fucking have this conversation with you which i totally get That's not something that you gossip about to People Magazine. No, that's not. And I feel like there are a couple sources I looked at but didn't use um, that took that as like a suspicious, like, oh, he's not talking about it. I'm like, no. Why would you talk to People Magazine about things that you told the police five years prior? Well, and also... It's your friend's death that you were there for. That's fucking traumatizing. Extremely. So, no, I'm not going to talk about that for this magazine that gets sent out to millions of people for them to read what was probably the darkest day of my life. No, I don't think that's fucking suspicious at all. I don't either. Then, in August of 2012... Natalie Wood's death certificate was amended to say that she died of drowning and other undetermined factors. Wow. And it said that the circumstances of how she ended up in the water are not clearly established. So they reverted the accidental thing and said, basically, just question mark. Just a big fat I don't know. Then, in February of 2018... 37 years after her death, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department investigators named Wagner, who was 88 at the time, as a person of interest in her death. Lieutenant John Carina said that, I think before we were all believing this story that she must have gotten in a dinghy and tried to go into town in her nightgown, in her socks, by herself, When it's raining out and the seas are really rough, 
because that was also like it was not a great night to be out oh my god you can't even see at midnight which made absolutely no sense if you think about it one of the reasons Wagner gave in, he, he like wrote an autobiography or something. And one of the reasons he wrote about in this is he was like, well, what must have happened is the dinghy was hitting against the boat. And, she, you know, she had previously like woken me up because they kept her awake and made me go like redo the, the fastenings or whatever. And what must have happened is because of the rough seas, she was drunk and tried to do that herself and fell in the water. Um, to me, one, it's a rubber dinghy. It's not, it, like, how much fucking noise is a rubber dinghy gonna make against a boat? Two, she's fucking terrified of water. I don't think she's gonna do that. Also, she's pissed. I would imagine she would walk into your argument and be like, hey, I need you to fix this. I'm pissed. Also, if she fell into the water trying to, like, like retie the dinghy, how is the dinghy going to, like, full-on float away with her? Well, and inflate. Well, I think it was inflated and, like, one of those, like, basically think, like, lifeboat, like... Hanging on the side. Just floating next to it. Yeah. But still, how's it gonna... Like, that story just does not make sense to me at all. And... In an interview at the same time of this, Detective Ralph Fernandez said that the autopsy results showed what looked like fresh bruises on her, and that she looked like the victim of an assault. Like, these bruises weren't just, oh, she fell in the water and was, like, hitting against the dinghy, because, again, if she's trying to get on the dinghy, like, yeah, bruises on her forearms, maybe. Yeah. How are there going to be bruises on her legs and a cut on her cheek and stuff? Like, that doesn't really fit. Right. And so, yeah, I would think that she was a victim of assault, too. But he went on to say, we have not been able to prove this was a homicide. And we haven't been able to prove that this was an accident, either. The ultimate problem is we don't know how she ended up in the water. And so today, her death is still unsolved. I mean, you can imagine the fact that we both brought mysterious cases that that would mean they were both unsolved. But that was totally not our angle, and I know it, but it happened. Yeah. Well, and in my case, there's there's definitely theories that she and Wagner got in a huge fight, and obviously, like he killed her there's also theories that davern the captain killed her out of like a jealous rage i don't know but for me where in your case the official theory is that she like accidentally killed herself with carbon monoxide felt like it hit about 40 percent of the evidence i will say i think in my case her drunkenly like falling overboard and trying to get into the dinghy drowning i would say hits closer to like 65 70 percent of the evidence like i I can see a lot more but it is suspicious like i'm not satisfied with that answer 
Both the deaths of Thelma Todd and Natalie Wood are so steeped in mystery and questions and evidence that doesn't add up and things don't fit into an easy explanation. That's why these are such mysterious deaths. And I say deaths yeah. instead of murders because that's the the puzzle here. We truly don't know. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's why I'm probably entitled this episode Mysterious Hollywood Deaths because I don't know. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing. That's where the mystery lies in. The mystery isn't like a who murdered them. It's a What happened? Were they murdered? Yeah. Yeah. These are the most frustrating types of cases where I truly cannot pick what I think happened. I have no idea. And I know on my case or yours, I haven't done enough research in both of these to be able to have an opinion on what I think happened because I can see so many parts of so many theories that make sense that I'm just mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know. This is a puzzle. This is a puzzle. I don't know how the pieces go together. Same. Like, it is one that I'm like, I'm not an investigator. And I'm also not someone who's dove deep enough into these cases to really be able to form an opinion. Because I feel like in a lot of cases, you do need to dive deep. But... In the amount of research it takes for us to do our cases, we really can form a solid opinion. But in these two cases, it would take so much more to really be able to gather the information and everything that went on to form an educated opinion. Because I don't, I don't know. I don't either. And that's what creates the mystery. Yeah. Well, if you enjoyed all of the questions that we presented in this episode and all of the questions that you still probably have tonight and want to chat to us, do that, by the way. Send us an email if you have all the questions. But if you like this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us those five stars. Let us know what you thought. We truly appreciate your reviews and they mean so much to us. Yes. Also, make sure to like and follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Check us out there. Follow us. You get to see on Instagram and Facebook at least like our our wine bottle pictures that we take and all of our things. So do that. Follow us. And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.